Thank you for tuning in. I'm Leanne, and I'm a librarian at Bexley Public Library, and your new host for the BPL Podcast. The founder and creator of the BPL Podcast and former BPL Adult Services Librarian Jeff Laser has moved on to greener pastures, and I want to personally thank him for his hard work establishing this podcast. Um, and we at the library and everyone in Bexley, I'm sure, wish him the best of luck in his new endeavors. I'm going to do my very best to carry on the mantle and bring great guests and stories to you, our listeners, from all around our community and beyond. After this episode, we have one more very special episode planned um, before the podcast will take a little hiatus for the summer. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast in whatever podcast app you use to listen to it um, so you don't miss any of those notifications. If you have any ideas uh, for the podcast, for topics, or for guests that you'd like to hear uh, here on the podcast, um, if someone's doing something really cool in Bexley that you think we should know about that you want to promote um, in the community, email me, reach out at podcast at bexleylibrary.org. Um, or maybe you have a special connection. Maybe one of your friends, one of your family members is a Pulitzer Prize winning author, or maybe they're an author um, writing in a niche that we don't often hear about. We love that. We want to hear that as well. Um, so reach out to me. Let me know what you think. Let me know what you want to hear on your podcast. Again, the email is podcast at bexleylibrary.org. Today on the podcast, we're going to be talking about one of my favorite pastimes, gardening. You've probably heard that home repair, gardening, and landscaping hobbies all saw a dramatic rise in popularity and interest last year during the height of the COVID-19 pandemic uh, when everyone was kind of forced inside um, and everyone was staying home. Everyone was running to their nearest Lowe's, their nearest Home Depot, doing home repairs, um, making the space that we were in. You know, everybody wanted to get outside, but we couldn't go anywhere, so we were in our gardens. According to news outlets like Reuters and the Washington Post, last spring saw a surge in seed buying with the U.S. seed company um, Burpee & Co. selling more seed than at any time in its 144-year history in March of 2020 alone. Here at BPL, one of our best-attended virtual programs last year was with Master Gardener George Peach as he talked about native plant gardening and landscaping. And you can watch that recorded program um, on our YouTube page, so check that out. I wanted to bring on a frequent programmer here at the library and around Bexley um, to talk about gardening and also um, starting her own garden school and business right here in Columbus. So our guest today is Tisa Watts. Tisa Watts is the founder and owner of the Columbus Garden School, an educator, and a speaker on backyard biodiversity. With a degree in horticulture and landscape design and nearly 20 years of experience, she has an eco-friendly, hands-on approach. For years, she lived and worked in California as a landscape contractor and designer, as well as an illustrator and editor for tech companies in the Silicon Valley area. Tisa grew up in Cleveland Heights and wanted to return to Ohio to be close to family and to start what is now the Columbus Garden School. The school offers one-time and ongoing classes in a variety of gardening, homesteading, and craft subjects given by Watts and other experts. Her passion is using science-based methods to restore native biodiversity to suburban neighborhoods. All right. Well, thank you um, so much, Tisa, for joining us today. How are you doing? How How's it going? I am deliriously happy because after some very cold weather and even a touch of frost in the past week, um, it is beautiful and sunny out. And the weather is, the forecast is looking great. Oh, good. You know, I was warm up. 
I was wondering what all this cold weather this last week has been. I was very nervous for my plants, but they seem to have all survived. Well, um, that's Ohio. You know, uh, <laughs> we we have to expect that it's going to have a late frost. And uh, I think this was a good reminder that as we all become better gardeners and more experienced, that you can absolutely count on late cold weather in this part of Ohio. Mm-hmm. They always um, they're always pushing the Mother's Day flower sales. Um, and that always tricks me into being like, oh, the weather's warm. And then it, yeah, and it always yeah, that's, me. that's marketing. That's, <laughs> and and <laughs> right. we in the, in the gardening industry, we greatly appreciate everyone's enthusiasm about it because it, it really is the kickoff for the season. But you have to kind of remember it's just the kickoff. So for our listeners who um, might not be familiar with you, which you have been doing some events in Bexley, um, so you're a well-known household name, hopefully now in Bexley, um, can you tell us a little bit about your background, how you got into gardening, and then what is the Columbus Garden School? Well, I'll tell you a little bit about the school. Um, I'm the founder of, of the Columbus Garden School here in Columbus, Ohio. And uh, we opened our doors officially as a school in January of 2019. The last couple of years have been um, interesting, to to put it mildly, (laughs) interesting times. Um, We offer classes in all kinds of of great hands-on kinds of things like gardening, seed starting, to pruning, to uh, composting, and everything in between. Growing edibles, growing fruit trees, growing native plants, um, learning how to deal with, you know, pests and diseases and, and all of that. Um, and that was our original intent when we started the school was primarily as a gardening school. But we have branched out into other things that are kind of related. And that includes um, homesteading topics like uh, beekeeping and taking care of backyard chickens and food preparation and preservation. So what do you do with the food that you grow? Uh, we also have um, basic construction workshops for women. And those have been hugely popular. And those are run by um, a nonprofit group called Central Ohio Women in the Trades. And we have a bunch of those classes coming up uh, over the next couple of months. And they also do some of our home maintenance classes. But we also do things like, you know, lawn lawnmower repair and, and things that are related to the yard and the home and the garden. And then finally, we also do arts and crafts because everybody needs arts and crafts. And we're going to be seeing a lot more of that this summer, I think, uh, we all need to be doing more hands-on, in-person kinds of things, but, you know, in a safe environment. We have two acres of, of open fields here. We're on East Cook Road, uh, about two minutes east of Highway 71. We're in town, which often surprises people. And uh, we have a large demonstration garden where we grow all the usual things, the seasonal herbs and veggies that we all want to grow at home. But we also do a lot of perennial things, and we try to be sort of an example of Um, the range of things that you can grow and how easy they are to grow here in Ohio. Have you always been interested in gardening? Is that where you started your career professionally? Heavens no. Um, (laughs) My my original college degree was in cultural anthropology. And uh, that was, you know, many, many, many years ago. And uh, sort of have drifted through a bunch of different careers, um, doing some education, doing a lot of high tech. I was a technical illustrator um, in publications for a long time, and that funded me going back to school. I realized that working in a cubicle was not the life for me. (laughs) I felt like a trapped animal. You know, I I realized that on the weekends, I'd be out in my yard gardening and uh, digging holes and, and dreading Sunday night. You know, you know, you you have a job that you need you need to reconsider your career choices when you're in tears on Sunday night. 
um, or just really mopey. And I realized, you know, I'd be out there in my garden digging, going, what is it that I really want to do with my life? And, you know, I'd be pulling weeds and what is it that I really enjoy doing? And um, I was like, wow, you know, I like doing this. And so I uh, went back to school and got a degree in horticulture and landscape design. And this Whoa. was uh, in California. So yeah, I did a bunch of different things and then landed on that. And it has, it has rocked my world for the last 25 years. It has been, it has been an, an amazing, uh, it's been an amazing trip. And I, I give my wife quite a bit of credit for that as well. She's helped, you know, pay the bills with um, all of this as we're kind of getting off the ground. So that's wonderful. This episode should come out the last Friday in May. If you could only give three pieces of advice to our Bexley gardeners for the summer, what would it be? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you some of the advice <laughs> that I give myself every year. And the first thing is get your plants in the ground. If you've got things sitting in pots, if you've got things that you've been meaning to move, if you have spots in the yard where you're like, I really want to get a tree or a shrub or whatever, I really want to do something, do it and get it in the ground as quickly as possible. I am notorious for having people bring me plants or, you know, I've acquired plants throughout the year and they end up sitting in pots all around the house. So get them in the ground before the heat hits. Uh, it will heat up very quickly in June. You want to stay ahead of your watering as well. This is the other thing that folks, you know, we've had a lot of rain and this is typical for Ohio, very rainy springs. And then people are like, oh, everything looks so nice and green. I'm sure I don't have to water, but the water is evaporating out of the ground and it is far easier to stay on top of the watering than to try and rescue plants that have dried out. The second thing I would do is now's a great time to take an inventory of what tools and supplies you have on hand and what it is that you need and that you forgot that you needed last year. Whether you have a ratty old hose that needs to be replaced, replace it. If you um, need, you know, uh, to sharpen your tools, if you need trowels, if you need a new shovel, whatever it is, this is the year. I want you to go out and treat yourself and buy decent tools because it makes such a difference in how enjoyable garden is when you have good tools and you're like, ah, oh, that's my favorite shovel. <laughs> you know, yeah. you know, you've become a gardener when you have a favorite, you know, rake or whatever it is. You've been given permission, listeners. Yeah, permission here from our master gardener Tisa Watts. Go treat yourself. Yes, <laughs> make, nice make life equipment. more enjoyable. And and also think about where you store the stuff. You know, if you need to carve a spot out in the garage, or if you need to go get yourself a, a shed of some sort, get yourself organized. And then my last piece of advice is get yourself a comfortable place to sit outside. You know, get yourself a chair that you can leave outside um, that is comfortable, that you can, you know, take and read a book or look up your plants on your phone or, you know, drink a glass of wine, have a cup of coffee, whatever it is. And just enjoy being in the garden because so often gardeners are so involved in the task and the tasks are enjoyable by and large. But sometimes it's just nice to have a place to sit and just let your shoulders down. Like reap the rewards of all of that work that you've been doing. Yeah, I've taken, I've gotten into the habit lately of using the note function on my phone. And so at the end of the day, when it's getting dark and cold and everything else, I will sit down and this has been actually really helpful for me to be in the garden making my notes. And it's just, you know, it's just a bullet list of, you know, things that I need to remember, things to buy at Menards, things that um, I want to do differently next year. I learn something every year. And and every year you get you get the opportunity to fine tune. Yeah, um, that sounds really meditative too. It just sounds like a really you know a lot of people I think incorporate gardening 
whether they realize it or not, maybe as sort of a mindfulness practice, it's something, you know, when both of your hands are occupied, when your mind is occupied, you're not using your phone, you're not online, you're not, you know, engaging in the matrix. (laughs) I know that for myself, living in California back when I first started gardening, it was very intense. It was a very, it was a crazy time in in the uh, Silicon Valley and gardening as an introvert, gardening was absolutely my, my safe place. And it's kind of where you can sort out your thoughts and you can just sort of like, as you're working and you're pulling weeds and you're doing things, you're working through, you know, that, that argument you had with so-and-so. And And it feels um, for me, like you, especially I know because in at the Columbus Garden School and in some of the classes you've done at Bexley and then Um, You talk a lot about native plants and kind of like repairing the ecosystem and working with the ecosystem. And so it feels like a practice or a hobby that doesn't take away from, Mm. you know, we're we're not taking away, you know, if we're shopping on Amazon, we're we're contributing to all of the, (laughs) you know, um, the bad, right? But when we're gardening, especially if we're trying to, you know, plant some goldenrod or plant some echinacea, you know, to help the birds and recreate an ecosystem, um, it just feels really, it feels good in a way that some of other pastimes don't. It is. And I, and I think that um, this is such a good trend. I'm so happy. I mean, you know, there's all kinds of death and mayhem happening in the world. One of the, one of the lovely things about living in this part of the country and having such a strong gardening community here is that um, I see such a desire to make things better in our in our natural world. This is definitely a big trend in gardening. And, and when I was coming through school back in 2000, I was exposed to a very conventional gardening program the classes that I took and the instructors that I had and the practices that we used, um, you know, it was all pesticides and fertilizer and and conventional plants that were brought in from China and Australia and Asia. And, uh, this was out in California. And, um, you know, it would have been the same here. Talking about native plants and permaculture and a lot of these other concepts was, even in California, was considered pretty hippie. And uh, now it's become very mainstream. And I am extremely grateful for that. And I've learned alongside everybody else with this as well. It is absolutely better gardening. Um, what I learned in school was what my teachers knew. They grew up and were, were gardening in the age of post-World War II, early 50s, 60s. You know, you know, everything was productivity, productivity. How much can we grow per acre? How many plants can we, you know, crank out? And, um, and then we realized that these are not healthy practices. You know, over-fertilizing, using too much pesticide, using monocrop plants, where you're using all clones of one particular thing is uh, not good for the environment, is not good for people, it's not good for wildlife. Two things sprung to mind, and, and I do want to hear, so for those listeners who are interested, you know, maybe they're either just starting their garden or they inherited a garden and want to add some of those native plants. Um, I do want to hear, like, if you have um, maybe, like, easy perennials. Um, That's something that I was looking for in my garden that I was like, you know, something that is like maybe drought resistant that I don't have to like pay a lot of attention to, but that is also good gardening um, for Ohioans. Um, But it also just, it reminds me of the book Braiding Sweetgrass by Robin Wall Kimmerer. She's a native woman and she talks in that book about um, like indigenous um, American growing practices and, you know, talks about the, the bean squash corn relationship and the way that the relationships for plants 
plants, you know, this indigenous knowledge that was lost and you talking about the, you know, 50s and 60s growing of just like mono crops and just one plant and how do we get that productivity? It's like we're trying to go back to this. I think that brings up the whole point that how much um, gardening knowledge is passed along. It is not, you know, people are like, oh, you've got such a green thumb. And it's like, oh, hell no. I am somebody who has put in a lot of time reading and practicing and learning from other people and, uh, you know, going to master gardener events and putting myself into a lot of different situations where I could learn from a lot of different people. Um, I have learned here, we grow a lot of native plants here at the school. That's our other love. In addition to teaching people how to, how to grow food is, um, incorporating lots of native plants and especially those plants that I think will work really well in suburban environments because these are my people. So what are some of those? I have a few favorites. I'm not a purist and I know that a lot of times people go to uh, more local conventional nurseries here in town and they're like, I'm not seeing really native native plants. You will find cultivars of native plants and that's um, sometimes what you have to kind of make do with. But if you can buy the native species, if you can get out to Sciota Gardens or Natives in Harmony or some of the many, many plant sales around town. And I also grow perennials, um, native perennials each year. And I try to do different ones so that uh, if you buy from me every year, eventually you're going to have a hell of a prairie. Yeah. So there's lots of great stuff. And I would say um, starting with shrubs, and I think everybody has room for native shrubs. I would say that some of my favorites are the chokeberries, which is Aronia, our beautifolia and Aronia melanocarpa. And um, they either have uh, red berries or blackberries. You can eat them. They're in the rose family. Um, It is a native to this area. Uh, You can get different cultivars that have slightly different characteristics, but it is a plant that blooms in the spring, provides pollen and nectar for pollinators, provides fruit uh, at the end of the season for birds that are traveling through and whatever other wildlife might be interested in that. And in fact, you can make juice out of the the black version. It's supposed to be very high in antioxidants and vitamins. And the foliage is, you know, if you see a few insects on your plants, that's a good thing. A lot of people freak out like, oh my God, there's a bug eating my leaves. And it's like, that bug that's eating your leaves is going to feed a bird. And so when you see those things happening in your yard, you know, you see that there's a whole connection between, you know, a little bit of damage to your shrubs is a good thing. So um, that's one that I love. Uh, there's all kinds of stuff. Um, but I'll just talk about the ones that I'm absolutely in love with. Another one is called Ninebark. It is uh, Physocarpus, and it also comes in a variety of different colors. I have three different ones here at the school. I love this plant. And it's mostly I grow it for the flowers, which is pollen and nectar, and for the foliage. And it is a beautiful plant. Uh, another one is that people are often familiar with. Are, there's a ton of different shrub dogwoods that are native. And some of them get pretty big. They, it's like it's a tree? Is it a shrub? It's kind of hard to tell. Depends. <laughs> they come in like every color and flavor and size and shape <laughs> that you could imagine, including some of the uh, dogwood trees. Now, the thing is, is most people, when they see a dogwood tree, what they're seeing is the um, Asian dogwood. It's a cornus cusa. And the flowers are spectacular and they've hybridized the heck out of it. And it is wonderful. And you know what? It's a great tree, and if it makes your heart sing, then go get it. But there is a native dogwood that is also lovely, and I have one of each here at the school, and I also have about four different shrub dogwoods. And that's the other thing, too, is, again, when we started this school, I wanted this to be a place where people could come and see full-grown specimens of things and say, what is the care and feeding of this, of this critter? How can I use this in my yard? 
And, you know, we have areas that are really wet. We have areas that are really sunny and dry. We have, you know, all different situations. I really love that. I was, um, I took one of your classes and then I was, I've been walking around Bexley because I wanted to put, I want to put a shrub and maybe a tree um, in my front yard. And so I've been walking around taking pictures because everyone in Bexley just does an incredible job with their gardens, Um, you know, taking pictures of the different, well, and around my neighborhood as well, um, you know, taking pictures of what seems to look. I think you gave that advice at some point in one of your classes, like see what other people are doing in your neighborhood. You know, what grows really well in your neighbor's yard will probably grow really well in your Especially yard. Especially if it's the same exposure. You know, no, that's great. No, I'm glad you heard that. You, I said something that somebody listened to. Um, yeah, so, if, and, and that's a great way to go around. And the other thing is that when you see somebody who has a really nice yard, knock on the door, because you know what? They're a gardener and they will talk your freaking ear off. Someone saw me taking a picture. They had a, like a fuchsia that I've only ever seen seen in hanging baskets, but it was planted in the garden and I was taking a picture of it. And this woman like ran out and was like, oh, hello, this is my garden. Like, yeah, you know, I mean, was, we can be deep really introverts, nice. most gardeners, but by golly, you talk to us, you know, you ask us about a plant in our yard <laughs> and we're like, wow, this is the most interesting thing I've ever talked about. So you had said the nine bark, the chokeberry, and at some point listed a witch hazel. There are witch hazels that are shrubs and there are witch hazels that are almost too big to be called a shrub. Mm-hmm. You know, they get up to 20 feet. And again, um, witch hazels, you can get either the hybrids, and those tend to have a lot more flowers in and in, in a wider range of colors. And then we also have some of our native um, witch hazels. Uh, there's a vernal uh, witch hazel, and there's also, um, it's Hamamelis virginiana and Hamamelis vernalis. What's interesting about those is is uh, one of them will, will bloom in the fall. So you get oh. yellow bloom in the fall. And there's a couple of plants that do that. And it seems like it's out of sequence, but not really, not for that plant. So, and what about trees? If you just had to like throw a couple out that you wish you saw more of in Columbus or that you wish people would start planting, or actually, um, you know, for me, I live in an urban neighborhood and I have a pretty... I mean, I have a backyard. I would love to plant a tree, but I'm, you know, kind of struggling figuring out, oh, what's the best variety? And obviously they they start pretty small, <laughs> um, you know, but for homeowners, especially who live, you know, in an urban area, what do you recommend? When I lived in California, people would bring home seedlings of redwoods and plant them in their backyard. And that was never, that never ended well. Those are huge. They can get like 200 feet tall. Yes. Yeah. Not, not a good idea. I mean, it seems, it seems so cute when you brought it home. Um, that being being said, I will say that um, one of the trends that I see that I really don't like very much, and you see it sometimes in older neighborhoods, um, if you go to older neighborhoods where people have the money to take care of their big trees, it's shady, it's quiet, mm-hmm. it's beautiful, it's cooler in the summer, and that is by design. And a lot of times they're planted, the trees that are there are not things that you would normally think of to grow, like a red oak or a, you know, a, a big maple or something like that, like our, our red maples and things like that. And so people have been trending towards getting smaller trees like crab apples. I don't think that this is a great trend. I think it doesn't feel the same and it doesn't look the same and it does not provide the same wildlife value either as some of these big native trees that we have. And I and I understand that people are, the other trade-off that you have when you go with a, a larger native plant is that um, it may not mature in your lifetime. Whereas a crab apple, you're going to see some major results in 10 years. But I always kind of remind folks that, you know, if you have the James Dean of plants, if you have that plant that, you know, 
lives fast and dies young. That's kind of what happens. If something grows really fast, uh, chances are it will, you know, like if it's a, a lot of people like the ornamental pears or they like crab apples or they like these things and they grow very fast. They're very pretty. And then they decline after about 10 or 15 years. Whereas some of the older native trees, they are just starting to hit their glory in 10 years and it's hard to be patient but the wildlife value is is there so i would recommend that people reconsider buying small fast trees and consider buying you know or look at some of the things that are being offered at these native plant sales too and you'll realize um they are a little slower but they are also the plants that i do not worry about when we have crazy weather so when we had these freezes going back and forth and when we had the wet spring and stuff is standing in a little bit of water or if it's this or that, or it's blasting hot in the summer. And with the humidity, that's a big factor with plants. I don't worry about my native plants. Those are the ones that I know are going to be fine, even when they're young. As long as they've been in the ground for a year, I don't worry about them. That's, you know, that's kind of my style of gardening as well. But I tell people, you know, be bold, go big. Okay. So you're, yeah, go ahead and plant the big tree. Yeah. Um, even if you're not going to be around to see it. Okay. Well, thank you so much. Yeah. That definitely inspires me to maybe go ahead and just see some of these big trees, figure out what they are and put one in my backyard. <laughs> you know what I recommend too is, so we have this wonderful gem of an arboretum here in Columbus on the OSU campus called Chadwick Arboretum. And a lot of people are familiar with their Mother's Day sale. They have a big plant sale. But if you have never taken the time to go over there, um, bring a picnic and uh, spend a couple hours there. They have wonderful specimens of plants that do beautifully in Columbus, Ohio. And the best part is that they are all correctly tagged, but they're already mature. They're already full size. So you have a sense of, wow, this would probably be great in my yard. Take advantage of that. Support your arboretum. Become a member. <laughs> Chadwick Arboretum on OSU's campus. Yeah, and they have learning gardens and they've got like a thing around a pond and they got a, you know, it's gorgeous. That's awesome. All right, I want to switch gears a little bit and talk about another asset, um, which is uh, the Columbus Garden School. So you founded this business from the ground up. Um, you said you founded it in 2019. So we already know what inspired you to found the Columbus Garden School. Um, but what do you know now that you wish you had known when you were starting out, whether with starting your own business? Was this the first time you had ever worked for yourself and founded a business? What do you wish that you had known um, that you know now? Or what were some of your biggest surprises or lessons learned? I'll tell you what I'm glad I didn't know. And that is how much work it would be. <laughs> uh, because anybody that has their own business, you realize that you end up working 18 hour days pretty much all the time. And and a lot of it's very enjoyable. A lot of it, you know, you're thinking about what you can do with the with your business and how you can sell this or how you can engage people with that or, you know, how can you get people excited about native plants or whatever it is. You know, it's it's my passion. And so that part's lovely, but it's a lot of work. And if anybody had ever told me like, wow, it's going to be a lot of work, um, we'd never start anything, would we? I started out um, after I got my degree in horticulture and landscape design, did a lot of design out in California, worked with a lot of clients and they would be like, oh, this is great. You know, we've just bought this lovely new landscape and you've had it installed and it's beautiful and we don't know how to take care of it. And can you help us with that? And so that's kind of what led me into doing more education and consultations and things like that. And I did that for quite a long time. And the one thing that I always missed was the fact that you'd go to somebody's home who did not know how to garden yet. 
And it went from being my clients to being people that had heard of me who had existing landscapes and wanted plant ID and they wanted advice for how to take care of things. And I started teaching people how to do pruning and things like that. You know, the thing that I wanted was to be able to bring people to a property and say, this is how it's supposed to be done. This is what it looks like when it's done correctly. This is um, this is what you're aiming for kind of a thing. What do I wish I had known earlier? I wish I had known how to... um, ask for more help. I am a a fairly sturdy, strong person, and um, I don't mind working hard physically. But my body apparently is starting to disagree with that. And uh, (laughs) I am still, it's still hard for me to to ask for people to to volunteer and come on over and help me put in, you know, a hundred small plants. The other thing that I've had to learn about running this business, um, the pandemic was a real eye-opener for many of us with our businesses. So 2019, we spent the entire year building up how many people were coming to classes and the classes that we offered and finding new instructors and all of that and getting into the routine and figuring out, you know, the insurance and the thing. And, the th- and then uh, the pandemic hit and COVID closed our doors in March of 2020. And I, at that point, was selling out classes. I had waiting lists for everything. I was just, we were looking at a spectacular year. And I spent the next month just issuing refunds and um, sort of sitting in shock like a lot of us and figuring out what we were going to do next. And then everybody decided to um, learn Zoom. Thank God. Now we've all been on Zoom for a year, and I think we're it is um, it's not the best way to learn how to do gardening. <laughs> so we are going to be getting back into more in-person classes. And I guess the thing that that I've learned over the last two and a half years has been pivot, pivot, pivot. You know, to pace yourself, you know, those 18 hour days cannot be spent entirely outdoors because, you know, it's just too much. Um, Ask for help. Be willing to change when the situation changes again. That is wonderful advice, I think, for everyone. So right before we wrap up, um, I like to ask all of our guests, what are you reading, watching, listening to or playing right now that you're really excited about? Oh, my gosh. I took a class on phenology with uh, Denise Ellsworth through OSU, and that was really interesting. It talks a lot about how various events in nature are timed according to the climate and the temperature and the weather and a bunch of different factors and uh, talked a little bit about climate change. Um, So that has been on my mind a lot. And the book that I've been reading, I've been wanting to read this forever. I finally got into it and I'm like, why did I wait so long? It's an easy read, but it's deep. And it's Aldo Leopold and it's the Sand County Almanac. It's arranged throughout the year, at least the first part of the book. And it's just like you read it and you're like, wow, you know, just to be in this guy's shoes. So totally does not have a cell phone to, to distract him, you can tell. You know, I want more of that in my life. So, And then I'm, I'm constantly reading gardening stuff. Do you have like a go-to every gardener needs a certain book in their library? I'll tell you my general advice about it. First off, gardening technology and information hasn't changed that much in about a thousand years. So for good basic gardening references, go to the used bookstore. Get, it all, you know, get them used. You know, a lot of the Rodale stuff, which is organic, kind of hippie stuff. Um, great gardening advice. Good, basic, solid stuff. Well-illustrated. 
the, the advice that I would give folks is um, make sure that the person who wrote the book or who is providing you the information online is reputable, has education, has a scientific background. There's a lot of people out there recommending, you know, Epsom salts and Dawn dish soap. And let me tell you, these are not good things to be randomly throwing around the garden. <laughs> yes, they're cheap. Yes, they're already under the sink. No, they do not belong on plants that you're planning to eat or um, in your soil. Magnesium sulfate is not to be trifled with. Vet your sources. We at the library, yes, please vet all of your sources (laughs) all of the time in all of the things. And so can you go ahead and tell um, the listeners where they can find the Columbus Garden School, where to find those classes? Sure. Um, We are at the columbusgardenschool.com. That's the first place that I would send people to want to learn a little bit about the school and see a couple of photos of what we're doing and to find out what classes we're offering. I'm looking for instructors. So if you are an expert at what you do or extremely knowledgeable and um, can are interested in that, drop me a note. Let's talk. And uh, what else do we have? We have plant propagation, sourdough bread making. All of these things are coming up again. So, and I will also say, and this is this is I say this with all earnestness. If you are interested in learning about weeding or pest control, I will give you free lessons if you visit me at the Columbus Garden School on East Cook Road. And uh, I'm always happy that in, uh, in that silliness aside, I'm always happy if people want to come by and take a tour and all I ask is that you drop me a text and let me know um, when you'd like to come by and I'm usually outside or I'm around the house anyway so I'm always delighted to give people a tour of what we're doing to answer questions and and all of that and you can find me on Facebook too all right well thank you so much that is awesome information and I hope everybody feels inspired to get into their yard and to um, to visit the Columbus Garden School I know I'm about to go check out the website um, and sign up for a class Um, so thank you so much for joining us, Tisa. It was this was so much fun. Thank you for having me. Thank you for tuning in to the BPL podcast today. We hope you enjoyed. I'm your host, Leanne, and I've been speaking with master gardener and founder of the Columbus Garden School, Tisa Watts. Find out more about the Bexley Public Library, including upcoming events at our website, www.bexleylibrary.org or across platforms at Bexley Library. If you liked what you heard, please help us grow by telling a friend. I'm serious. Tell your friends. Tell your family. Tell anyone you meet on the street. Rate us five stars and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps us beat the algorithms. Please email me with your comments, questions, and suggestions at podcast at bexleylibrary.org. Thanks for listening.